Hey, welcome to the It Starts With You podcast. My name is Sam Adams. I am known as the Real Life Coach, and this is a podcast that is all about exploring ourselves, about us taking ownership for our lives, taking responsibility, and our experiences and our journeys into that. I get to speak to some amazing guests and some just all round downright inspirational, awesome human beings. Plus, there's the few episodes of me just sharing my experiences of life and maybe some stuff from coaching my clients. If you want to find out more about me, please head to my website, sam-adams.com. Okay, that's it from me. Here comes your episode. So everybody, yes, this is another edition of the It Starts With You podcast with me, Sam Adams, Sam Adams, can't even say my own name today, uh, your host. And today, this is another episode in the LGBTQ People in Sports series. And I'm very pleased to say that I am joined by another international athlete, netball player and coach. Is it Sarah or Sarah? I should have asked that before. Yeah, Sarah. Sarah. Sarah Bayman. How are you doing, Sarah? Thank you for being here. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on. So um, for those that don't know you, who is Sarah Bayman? I guess the big question is. Um, well, I, guess, <laughs> I guess in sporting terms, um, former England netball player, um, went to a couple of World Cups, a couple of Commonwealth Games, um, captained England, captain Manchester Thunder, played at Team Bath. And then when I retired in 2018, um, became director of netball at Loughborough University and head coach of Loughborough Lightning Netball franchise. And that's where I am today. Can you hear me? Sorry, oh, my internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a bit of editing going to have to be done there. Yeah. Uh, my internet's decided to drop. Hopefully it's okay. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, you've had a pretty decorated career, um, certainly from my bit of research that I, I've done around you. Um, how, how did you – can I just ask how you first got into netball? Was, were you interested in sport before that? Were there other things that sort of played a part before you kind of took up netball, netball more seriously? Yeah, just massively sporty as a child. Um, mm. Played everything at school, um, hockey football swimming you know I was kind of like the kid that got put in the 1500 meters because no one else wanted to run it and, <laughs> um then really football was probably my first love and um oh. growing up I um, played a lot of football played at Everton um, oh, okay yeah and up until 18 played both to a pretty high level I, I got some junior England caps for football um mm. just before I made my junior England debut for netball and um, it was only really when I went to university in Bath that netball took over um, and I went with the intention actually to to play football and to drop netball and um, <laughs> yeah no one no one quite believe, quite believes me because Bath has a really strong netball program but I was uh, yeah I was kind of determined that I wanted to play football and then um, the netball coach was like come to our sessions for a week and then if you if you still don't want to play you know, you don't like don't play, you know. And I went to the sessions for a week, and it was just such a good group of of girls and um, such a nice vibe there that I ended up yeah sticking with netball and, and dropping football and um, yeah the rest is history from there pretty much. Brilliant. So, what was your experiences like of football then? Because obviously, women's football has come on, you know, and continues to grow. 
mm-hmm. of all the women's sports that we've got in this country. Um, you know, it's finally getting getting some visibility, you know, BT Sport taking it up as well and stuff like that. But So what was it like, though, back then playing for Everton? Because you hear Everton, you think, yeah, big team, you know. But for the women, um, yeah. How, how long ago was that that you were part oh, of the team? This was like 18 years ago. So I'd kind of like right. just made... I'd just made my first team debut. Like I'd played maybe two or three first team games for Everton before I went mm. to university and, and left. Um, so yeah, it was like 18 years ago and it's a totally different world um, to what it is now. You know, mm. everything was amateur, um, like no money involved. Um, and it's it's great to see how quickly it's kind of got to where it has. Mm. Um, I think when I played, when I played England, under 16s I think football Alex Scott was in that team oh, um, right. okay. yeah so <laughs> it's kind of like it's good to see kind of where where she's come from and where the sports come from to to where it is now and yeah um, I think that's kind of the bonus of a sport that has a male sport equivalent and the backing you know mm-hmm. I think there's still huge differentials between how well the club's back their female teams but yeah. the ones that do it really well um it's absolutely huge for the athletes yes i had um jess fishlock on who played mm. for, what yeah you know who jess is um and we were talking about that and we we're talking about the disparities and how obviously the the men's t- uh clubs support their women's teams and yeah interesting <laughs> probably a conversation for another podcast maybe probably quite mm. a good panel discussion i should imagine but anyway um, yeah, we were talk- we were talking about that the other day. Yeah, is it does depend on, you know, how much the men's team or the men's side support the women's side, um, money, facilities, all of that. Yeah, and I think it's it's probably still a frustration that you know it's mostly men making decisions about women's sport in that scenario, when whether or not yeah. they think it's worthwhile. Yeah, um, I guess netball hasn't got that problem as much but it's got mm. its own its own set of problems in in terms of lack of money and, and lack of visibility and I think you know netball probably 18 years ago when I was playing football was ahead of women's football in terms of exposure and professionalism and things like that and right. now now you fast forward that amount of time and the growth rate's been much steeper for, for women's football than it has for netball and I think that's one of the causes behind that yeah yeah absolutely yeah i guess there's a few reasons for that but um yeah maybe that's one of them yeah i mean what i mean visibility is something i um started to kind of speak about a little bit more because i i I heard some really shocking statistics around um women's sport obviously i'm passionate about sports hence why i'm here um talking to you and i spoke to your wife as well um but the visibility of women's foot uh sport in general is shocking in terms of on tv um and it's something i've sort of i don't know i'm trying to do my little bit my little part about you know raising the awareness of it and how we can make women's sport more visible because in in america for instance um out of all the sport that's shown on tv only four percent of it is women's um which is quite shocking um the uk we're slightly better um we are into double figures <laughs> but scraping into double figures I imagine. yeah yeah it's not it's not yeah i mean globally i god i can't even imagine what it's like globally i know some countries maybe like australia and stuff maybe um i know they're big on netball and stuff like that and cricket's big out there women's cricket as well but 
there are some shocking statistics. Um, how, how do you think sort of netball fares in all of that? Um, because like you say, it has changed. I, I wasn't aware of that, by the way, in terms of you know the visibility of net, women's netball uh, compared to football. And, and now that obviously that there's been a sort of, you know, football's overtaken netball. Um, yeah, I think, I think a little bit, um, you know, netball is doing a good job at the minute in terms of getting itself on TV and mm. in a weird way, um, COVID helps that because you know we're we're now playing a season in a central venue, which means Sky can be there for every game and, and mm. people can access that all the time. Where in a pre-COVID world that wasn't happening, you were getting one game a week. So um, it's doing a decent job of, of getting itself out there. But mm. uh, again, it's like frustrating, I think, for the sport that it comes in fits and starts. You know, England won gold at the 2018 Commonwealth Games and there's a massive spike in interest and media mm. attention and sponsorship deals and things like that and you know we have a home world cup the year after in, in 2019 in Liverpool and again there's a, there's a mm. spike but then it just kind of drops off a little bit and you add throw COVID into the mix of that and all of a sudden women's sport generally has dropped off a cliff and yeah when when people are looking at getting sport back it's fairly low down the agenda for a lot of people in terms of getting women's sport back on TV. Mm. And I think that's something that, you know, it's it's almost just institutionalised, I think, in the media at the minute that women's sport is less worthwhile. Um, and I guess it's all about money in the end of the day. And we it, that's a long battle for, for women's sport to win. Yeah, it, absolutely. I'm sure it is about money, isn't it? And, you know, obviously we know the men's game, lots of men's sport brings in lots of money. And hence, they get lots of money paid to them as well. That's that's another issue. Is obviously you know what what female athletes get paid. I mean, one of the only only uh, situations that I know of that's been like that for a long time is athletics, where the women and the men have always got paid the same prize money. Um, yeah, and I mean, you look at tennis as well, um, and mm. they've done a, a better job in recent years of, of equal prize money. And mm. um, I think those kind of sports as well get rid of this myth of you know women's sport not being as good you know mm. even even in football and rugby and things like that you're like oh yeah but the women's game isn't that well the women's game isn't the same like, yeah exactly. tennis isn't the same as men's tennis don't compare apples and pears yeah like, enjoy enjoy the great things about each each of the games and i think yeah. you kind of need to get away from that um if you're going to really truly mark the sport yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah, they are they are very different. You know, women. It's like I was talking to um, Georgia Adams, who plays cricket. For, she's a county uh, Sussex County captain, and um, you know, she was talking about you know hitting a boundary for a woman is not the same as a man. The ball's not bowled as fast. You can't hit it as far. Um, so you know, bring the boundaries in to make it. You know, because obviously you know they want to make the game exciting as well. But there is that, right? And I never thought of it about it like that. But of course, it makes sense, right? You know, mm -hmm. women can't bowl the ball as fast as as men, um, and and hit, and therefore, you know, they're not going to be hitting as many, you know, boundaries as, as the men. Um, so yeah, they. I think they. There is a format now where they're bringing the boundaries in, um, to so make it a bit more exciting, and, and I guess a bit more of a I don't know if level playing feels the right right mm -hmm. word, but it, it makes sense to do that when you think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there needs to be that kind of um, perspective on it, I guess, um, on a lot of women's sports. So, yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. Um, in terms of your career, because <laughs> it's been pretty good, 
Um, we've won four Super League championships, I believe, and you know, played for England, captained. It's just incredible. Um, when you obviously then decided to go into netball, like you said, you was all in, really. Um, how, I mean, how quickly did it really sort of take you to break into the England team and stuff like that? Um, I think, you know, my my second year at university, I was lucky that um, my my birthday fell into an under 21s age group so mm-hmm. we went to world youth cup in in florida um and i went to that as the under 21s captain and then i came back from that and everyone was like oh my god now you're gonna like break into the squad and things like that but um i actually went on a placement year from university and, and spent the year in new zealand and mm-hmm. so didn't get into the england squad probably for like another two years because I can't I think at the time the coach was a bit annoyed that I'd sort of chosen to go and do my university stuff and and not pursue um, being in the national squad and and so then it took me a bit of time when I got back to to kind of get back in favor and and make the squad and eventually um, I made my debut in 2007 um, at the at the world champs in in New Zealand so um, it it wasn't straightforward in terms of like I wasn't a child prodigy like you know we've got players yeah. in the sport like any sport you know we've got players like Jeeva Mentor and Pam Cookie who were debuting at 16 and, and then stayed in the squad you know Jeeva's still there like for 20 years and wow. you know I, I wasn't one of those players like I, I got dropped you know as a youngster I got I got dropped from the under 19s I I got dropped for from senior squads I I, I missed selections I I mm like various things like that and um you know it it's a it's a different journey for 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 lots of people and I think um you know I'm kind of grateful for mine now from a coaching perspective that mine was quite tough um Mm. and so when you know you're having conversations when I'm having conversations with players about not making squads or them getting serious injuries Mm. it's from a place of of empathy and actually knowing what they're going through um because mm. like it is hard at the time yeah I mean you know how how was that how did you you know manage like being dropped not making the team um how did that affect you and how did you manage that and is there any was there any support at that time as well I I think the support has probably got better in recent yeah. years I think at the beginning of my career um which is like over 10 years ago now um the support was pretty poor in those situations like they, mm. a lot is expected of athletes in in terms of trying to make especially major tournament squads you know people give up work yeah. and pretty much life outside and then you don't make it and it's like oh well see you later and and yeah. i think that's that's hard for people to take so i think that has definitely improved in recent times um for me i, I don't think um getting getting disappointments was was never it, and obviously it's hard to take but it was never really the issue for me you know I was happy to to fight for my place all the time mm. and to come back and things like that it's it's injustices that I can't handle so if if there was ever a time when I really felt like there was something <laughs> something sinister going on that's when I get riled up and still now as a coach I've got to stop like I've, I've kind of got to fight that at times you know when right. decisions are being made about the league or various things that you know I can't affect but I don't think are right on mm based on my values that's what I struggle with more than 
losing games or having mm. a bad run of form. And um, so I think there were definitely times where I was, I felt like I'd kind of been un, like dealt an unfair hand and, and that's what I struggled with most. And mm. I remember, um, I can't remember, I think it was my dad after one selection where I was, where I was really good he, and he just looked at me and he was like, well, you, you just need to be so good that they can't drop you. Mm. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like you can't, at some point, you know, you can't fight people on what their opinion of you as a player or whatever yeah. is. So actually you need to get to a point where you're undroppable. And yeah. That was kind of always my aim that, you know, whether it be because of my on-court talent or my leadership or how I was around the team or the mm. fact that, you know, I could make a team stick like gel together, whatever it was, I needed yeah. to do something to make myself like irreplaceable to a team. Wow. Good words by your dad then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as sympathetic as ever. Crack <laughs> <laughs> on. Yeah. But, but well, just, on you know, just be better. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it worked, it seems. It had a, had, yeah, know, I mean, it, it, it was a little bit of a mental shift in terms of like, you know, you can't, you can't whinge about selections if you've left it to a 50-50 decision um, because right. someone's always going to lose out in that. Sure. Um, like you need to, you need to go in there at least 80% sure mm. you're going to make it. Yeah. Fair play to him. <laughs> so what, what would you um, say your sort of, I guess, your greatest achievements in your netballing career? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess the medals are, are sort of the the things you remember. And so I think the, the bronze medal at, at Delhi Commonwealth Games was really special just because of the squad we had. Like it was mm. probably the England squad that I was part of that, that genuinely got on the best and, and mm. were fighting for each other. And at the end of it, you know, we kind of walked away just really disappointed that that team wouldn't play together again more than anything. And, and so I think getting a medal at the end of that one was really nice. Mm. Um, <clears throat> probably my, um, my last super league win with, with Thunder um, was pretty special as well, just because um, that was, that was heading into Glasgow Commonwealth games and, at the beginning of that year, I'd been dropped from from the England squad, mm. and in, in my mind, I was like, "If if I win the league, they can't not take me to Com Games." And so, um, yeah, that that was probably one of the most special ones to win. Mm. Yeah, some pretty special moments that you've had by the look of it. Do you think? How do, how do you see the game now, though? Like, because obviously you've been in it a while. Is there how different is it now to sort of maybe when you're first in it? Um, I mean, the sport's the sport. And so, mm. you know, people get bigger and faster and stronger, um, the more time and the more, like the more time they can dedicate to it because of the more money they're getting paid. And so the, the mm. game moves on and progresses. And I think it's probably more physical now, um, especially at the top level, it, it, it's faster. Mm. Um, but ultimately, I think the main thing that's changed is, you know, the, the media attention to it and also what's that what that's meant for players lives mm. uh, in terms of more professional netballers um more people making decisions on on their life based around netball mm. um, and i think that's that's probably the biggest shift 
Yeah. I mean, is it, I mean, I, I don't know what the money or I'm not asking you to tell me what the money is in the game, but is there, you know, obviously people are getting paid to play now. Um, when, when did that change? When did, because obviously um, it weren't before. I know like with, um, I was talking to Beth uh, Fisher and she was saying like to play for your country in hockey, you had to pay to play. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's madness, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, domestically it's probably been like over the last 10 years it's it started to grow and then i think um the introduction of of the new zealand and the australian leagues have kind of forced um forced the super league's hand a little bit here because all the best players from england want to go and play in australia and get yeah. paid four times as much really so, wow okay. yeah <laughs> and so actually like, can can we try and keep this next generation of players a little bit, like, from a club perspective, especially where yeah. I'm coming from? Yeah. You know, if I've got some great 19, 20-year-olds coming through, can I keep them for a little bit longer by, mm. you know, pushing for more money and um, pushing for them to get the benefits that they deserve? And I think, yeah, it, it's it's improving. You know, I think if, if you're outside the England squad at the minute, you're not... Um, you're not going to make a full-time living off netball, but um, it's it's slowly getting there. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's got to be tough, isn't it? When you love a sport as well and you want to play it full-time, but there's no money in the in it. It's very, very difficult. Um, that's another stressor, right? You know, it's a stress on top of the pressure of being a, um, a professional athlete or, you know, playing at that level. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, netball it's got a good mix of people, you know, from private schools, from hmm. state schools, like you've got a huge range of people. And um, what you find is that people are pretty resourceful. Like people have <laughs> had to, ha people have had to scrape by. So wh whatever they've, they've been able to do, you know, we've got people in the league who are doctors and lawyers, but you've also got people who have set up their own businesses and have got successful coaching businesses and, and different variations and I mean I'm sure that they hope for the next generation that they don't have to do that you know if you want to do that great mm. but you don't have to to survive in the sport yeah yeah absolutely what um obviously I want to talk about sort of you know being out in your sport and what you know obviously I spoke to your wife so I kind of know um, but listeners might only listen to your episode yeah um, and not to Stacey's I'm sure they will but you <laughs> never have a know. competition yeah um but I guess yeah what's obviously you know you're openly out you're married to Stacey um who plays in Australia um you know what's that been like for you as a journey um you know being out in sport i don't know when you came out or if it was a big parade or which probably wasn't um but what that whole journey's been like for you um i really struggled with it to be honest as, as a youngster especially um mm. in sport and um you know my my closest friends knew but i also didn't go broadcasting it to, mm. to people um i think my my fear as an athlete was to get pigeonholed into like people not talking about my performances or my game or my talent, but people talking mm. about my sexuality. And um, that, that was a, a huge fear of mine that I kind of, I think I, I think I kind of got to the point where it was, it was detrimental to me as a person right. kind of trying to hold on to the fact that um, I didn't want to tell people and, you know, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't want it to be, 
a part I was trying to compartmentalize my life in terms of this is me as an athlete this is yeah. me outside of the sport and it just got to the point where that's so hard to do because you're not you're not giving all of yourself to any one part of your life and mm-hmm. um when when I kind of did just drop that and let it go um I felt so much better um, yeah both in, in kind of both areas of my life so um yeah, it was a tough one. And I think, you know, in, I heard Stacey's episode, her talking about the sort of gossip within sport. Yeah. And I, like, I hated to think that I was at the middle, in the middle of that. And I was the sort of, you know, topic of conversation for people, you know, yeah. in, in, in the physio room or wherever it might be. So, yeah. Um, it was, I mean, I look back now and I'm like, that's ridiculous. But it, it was a kind of big deal to me at the time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Did you think that you know? Obviously, when you eventually sort of sort of came out, did it? Do you think it improved your you as an athlete, uh, your performance, sort of turning up for training and things like that? How did it? Did it have any of that kind of impact on you? Because obviously, it is a big weight off your shoulder, and you carry that. That's energy at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think I just found that I had, um, I was just more relaxed. Like mm. I had more more space. Um, for the for the sport and more enjoyment of the sport because I wasn't kind of trying to carry something around with me and mm. the last um certainly like the last years that I played um I I enjoyed my netball more than probably you know some of the best years because yeah I was just like much more able to be myself um much more able to put things into perspective and mm. um, worry less about irrelevant things and so I yeah definitely think that it helped yeah, you got you know you're on guard, aren't you? I know you know mm. from my experiences of going through life. Obviously, I wasn't you know a professional athlete. Sadly, <laughs> I'd love to have been, but you know just going through my life was hard enough. And trying to not say anything or show anything, and you carry that. And when you can finally let that let that go, it, there is a, or well, for me certainly, it was a big weight that was lifted. And yeah, it was a it was a lot. I was a lot freer. That was for sure. So yeah, yeah definitely because I think you spend your time you know you second like, guessing you do and you kind of yeah. get wrapped up in like who have I told what like does this person mm. knows this person in, in another part of my life like <laughs> yeah. and and I'm like oh my god this is getting too much it's yeah it's uh, exhausting like, yeah it is exhausting very tiring uh yeah I mean what's the like you know what's it like you're you're from your point of view then the game as a whole in terms of inclusivity um you know and you know any sort of any athletes from lgbtq um community do you feel like it's fairly inclusive and you know there's not really any problems within the game yeah i i do think it's inclusive in in terms of you know you've got myself and stacy in the sport but Mm. within within super league you've got probably another two or three players who are out um Mm. you've got two or three players in the australian league and i think Mm. it's taken it's taken a couple of people to to do it for everyone else to just be like oh okay we can talk about this like everyone yeah. knew it was there and everyone was fine with it but no <laughs> one was really talking about it and yeah. and now like um like ash brazel in in australia is is like a, a huge name in the sport and she came out a number of years ago um mm. and then everyone was like oh okay like we're talking about this now cool right let's go and then <laughs> So it's, I don't think it's ever been a problem. It's just um, now it's something that's sort of embraced rather than mm. accepted. 
Yeah, I wonder if the men's soccer and anything, any men or sport will ever get to that point. One will do it, so a couple of others will go, all oh, right, we're talking about this now. All yeah, right. well, I mean, I always think I, I've, I cannot, like, having struggled so much myself, I cannot imagine what any male athlete would go through, especially yeah. in sport like football. Um, yeah. But I also think that the first person to do it is going to be an absolute megastar. Like, just imagine the endorsements you're going to get the everyone's going to want a piece of you um and then it might it might start opening the floodgates but that one person's going to have to have like balls of steel I reckon. balls of steel broad shoulders yeah, yeah. I, I do see it like that as well and um the and it, obviously it has to be that kind of character that can can deal with that because the first man that does it especially in football um, yeah, I think there will be hundreds of opportunities um, and it's whether they can deal with that. Um, but I think, yeah, in terms of branding as well, I, th I honestly think it's an opportunity. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know when it'll freaking happen. All this, toxic, <laughs> all this bloody toxic masculinity going on, it's ridiculous. Well, it is. It? And I think, you know, I think it's easier to see that as well when you've either been through it or you're a little bit older like if you're a yeah. 22 23 year old footballer I'm sure that's um that's a bit of a different viewpoint on it yeah but there are some young athletes um you know that I'm trying to think who it is there's a couple of young male athletes sports people and they, they're just oh, there's one in particular but now it's just not coming to my mind and he's just like just I'm gay I've always been gay everyone knows it I play I can't remember what bloody game it is but he plays to a high level yeah um and that and, and so there are some of the younger ones that really they're they you know like they don't care you know yeah. like, like, it, like at school you know like my niece is 15 it's like oh my friend's bi this one's trans this one's gay yeah don't get me wrong there's still that banter and there's yeah. still those words thrown around but it's more of a conversation and it's more open it, but it blows my mind as well now like we're like where it's got to with like schools and the younger generation yeah. like it's so good like yeah people, people are just like like you say like you need to, they just talk about it like you know it's great like it's normal, which it is yeah. but exactly. that was ne never had the discussion that would have been had like five right. ten years ago I mean you heard the word lesbian or dyke when I was at school and it was all like oh my god it was just uh, yeah it was horrible <laughs> and you're like oh quick yeah now walk on by let's not have this conversation not that it was a conversation it was just a throwaway wasn't it yeah it's abuse really um so yeah we'll, we'll see if we get there um yeah hopefully i want uh, whoever it is i want them to come on my podcast and do it yeah <laughs> really selfish <laughs> yeah wouldn't it wouldn't it but i don't think that's gonna happen but you can, one can dream <laughs> um I guess a couple, couple of last questions, really. Big, biggest challenges for you over the years? Has that, have you had injuries and things? Or yeah, I mean, um, like I, I tore my cruciate ligament just Ooh. a couple of months out from a World Cup and missed wow. the World Cup, um, and that that was pretty devastating. Um, like I say, like I've I've missed squads in the past, um, mm. like lot, lots and lots of times, and I, th I think I think the the biggest disappointment for me was probably Glasgow Commonwealth Games, where we lost the semi-final by one, um, mm. and then and then we lost the the bronze medal match because really because we put everything into the semi-final and yeah, it, I it remember was, that. Yeah, it no. was like the first time we really should have won a tournament, like a a, national, a global tournament, and mm. I think everyone was so devastated because it, it's the first England team that you know we we honestly believed we were going to win. Yeah, um, and then. 
it's so I guess on the back of that, it's so pleasing to see that four years later they they went and just righted that wrong. Yeah, and brilliant. Won the, semi, won the semi and the final by one goal. So it's like such <laughs> tiny what a moment. Yeah, but what yeah. a moment. Yeah, you know, so I don't cool. know. I was literally like. <laughs> a great moment great moment and then, it yeah. was it was so i guess it's um you know it's a like a massively difficult time and and mm. then when in sport you're not always there to see the like to reap what you've sown and so yeah. you know just you've still got to feel like you've contributed to that for for that 2018 team i think there was something like eight players the same as that 2014 team so yeah still got skin in that victory and you've still got to like feel like you're not just there to win and lose games because Mm. otherwise it's a really it's a really tough existence if you're all about winning yeah okay well yeah you can't win everything right what so what's obviously a quick yeah just wanted quickly i know i've said i only keep you half now um wanted to ask about your current role obviously at loughborough Mm. um how that came about how how is it going you know the development of the game there and yeah and obviously you coach there as well you're director of netball but you also coach right yeah um I mean I never wanted to coach when I was playing Uh, (laughs) and I'd I'd done like my coaching awards and done like bits of bits of coach on the side but it was never like this is what I'm going to do post Mm. post playing career um and then as I decided to to retire, the Loughborough job came up, and um, one of my friends there contacted me and was like, "I think, like, I, I think you should seriously think about this because I think you'd be mm. really good." And I was like, "No, no, 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 I don't want to coach." And then I kind of I, I went and had a look around and and found out more about the job, um, and just decided that it was going to be a massive challenge, um, and that's sort of what I needed going mm. out of out of playing like how do you fill that hole of competitiveness and and challenge and you know structure and everything else in your day yeah um and so yeah I started and it was undoubtedly the hardest thing I've ever done like really wow yeah just because I think as a, as a player you always think you know what's going on like as yeah. you but all you see is you see a coach turn up and take a session and you decide if you like the session or not and then mm. you go home and you look after yourself and you don't see anything that happens like before that after that mm. between times and so I think it was yeah it was a huge baptism of fire for me and a massive learning curve of how little um like technical coaching has to do with what how good a coach you are um right. just so much player management so mm. much off-court stuff right. um and yeah so it was it was tough and and enjoyable and challenging and um everything I thought it would be but probably just 10 times more (laughs) wow (laughs) wow yeah I mean I guess at the end of the day player management is crucial right you know any team sport you know how yeah player. and I went into it I think like any young coach would like you know I'm going to be really well planned I'm going to have my sessions like on point that Mm. everyone's going to know what they're doing and then everyone's sort of like yeah well that's great but you know my my family's going through some trauma and you know I can't make this session but I can be at the game and do Mm. you still pick that person or you know someone gets in trouble you know either they're going to get thrown out of uni or they're in trouble with the police and things like this and I'm like 
oh my god i just wanted to like turn up a coach <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is this yeah and all of this like great planning and everything was just like you just might as well just light a match because <laughs> that like everything like that i would not plan for was happening and it was like okay you know you you can control what you can control but you also yeah. just need to be a little bit more flexible on how you spend your time because I was pretty much like I need to I need to get my sessions done I need to you know I need to do some video analysis I need to scout this team out yeah and everyone's like it's like people's lives burning down around me so it was just oh, a bit yeah. of a um, yeah definitely learning process so how does that play out because I know when I was talking to Stacey because obviously I'm a life coach I've worked with some athletes and stuff footballers and international athletes and um yeah, she was talking about, we were talking about this on podcasts, and I, she said that they have, um, what's it called, a performance? Oh, lifestyle. Lifestyle advisor, that's mm -hmm. it, which I love the title, by the way. I thought, well, maybe I should rebrand myself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so they have that. I mean, how, how does that work with you guys? How do you, you know, is it all on you, basically? Um, yeah, no, no, it's not. I mean, we, we like, we, we have a performance lifestyle advisor as well. Um, mm. We I have a team around me, like, physios and SNCs and assistant coaches and things like that and I think mm. um and another kind of learning for me was just to delegate things and allow people to do their jobs and not even yeah. just do their jobs but you know go go beyond their jobs so you know if, if it's the SNC coach that someone wants to go and have a chat to about mm. how much they're struggling with exam pressure then go go and talk to go and talk to them because yeah. you know it's it's kind of all one loop in the end. We're we're, we're a staff team, so it's going to get to where it needs to get to, and it's going to get help. Um, but trying to put that support around players where they've got options of people to speak to, and um, you know, as a as a staff team, we've got the belief that you know we've got each other's back, and people, mm. you know the loop's going to be closed like we're going to talk to each other about stuff and make sure that we're kind of giving the same messages and mm. um, all on all on the same page on things and try and take the pressure off any one person or athlete yeah 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 fa fascinating stuff and yeah I'm really interested in all of that stuff so from your so from your point of view you know, because obviously I, you know, I massively believe in, in mindset and mental health. And that's a crucial part to how any player is going to come up to, you know, turn up to training and obviously turn up on game day. Um, who, you know, how does that kind of play out within your environment? Is that the performance lifestyle advisor that kind of deals with that stuff, individual players around that kind of stuff? Or Yeah, I mean, a, a little bit um, like performance lifestyle is is a lot around you know life off the court so whether someone's buying a house or someone wants to change career off like you know start being a teacher move to another career whatever yeah um, we also have sport like sports like support um, mm. and I think it's it's that amalgamation of everything and trying mm. to like I said trying to make it sort of like interdisciplinary that you know, when when someone goes to see performance lifestyle, they don't have to go and talk about, you know, wanting to start a pension. And then that's all they talk about. They can talk yeah. about that in relation to the stress that they're feeling on court and right. everything else. And, mm. 
when they go and see a sports psych, it's not just because I had a bad game and now I want to talk to someone about it. But yeah, you know, it can be about a technical aspect that you know it can all join together. So that there is support around around players, and I think what we're trying to do is make it as easy as possible for them to access it. So there's no taboo around it, and there's no mm. siphoning of people to specific, you know like specific staff like oh you oh, yeah you talk to me about that you've got to go and see this person yeah <laughs> um, because that's not what you want as an athlete if you no. if, they want to, if, if they've chosen to come and tell you something you need to be there and be open to it regardless of whether you think oh my god I'm not qualified to deal with this you need yeah to, you're the person they've chosen to to tell yeah sure that sounds like a really good setup to me, but obviously, what do I know about it? <laughs> uh, I'm really conscious of time. Uh, thank you, Sarah. So, I guess, yeah, a couple of final questions then, really. Um, aspirations for the future, you know, what, what are your hopes? I guess it's it's to do with Loughborough, but you never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've just started season, so um, things get manic and busy now. And obviously, aspiration, like we're in performance sports, so you want to win. Um, of course I think for for me being at Loughborough as well it's it's a development environment so yeah. we do want to win but we also want you know we want to get young players out there and, and give them opportunities that they deserve and they've earned mm. um, and it's a development environment for staff as well so we we I want to make sure that you know I continue to develop as a coach and mm. a leader and um that we're not sacrificing no one's sacrificing themselves for for the greater good but we're all benefiting from it yeah sure sure I mean how big is the, is the setup there then for for netball you know how many how many people how many women are, are on your program um, or whatever I don't know if that's the right yeah. word sorry <laughs> no that that's fine I mean we've we've got a for Super League we've got a squad of 14 and then um four extra training partners but then we go under 21s, under 19s, under 17s, under 15s. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. We've also got, you know, for our um, under 17s and under 15s, like hub academies throughout the East Midlands. So we've got over 200 um, athletes in those, over over 20 coaches. Wow. So it's, it's big um, mm. and it's for us it's it's trying to get that balance of performance and development and making mm. sure that you know we've got the next generation coming through whilst we're totally pushing this generation of players to, to be yeah. the best they can be yeah it's from bottom to top isn't it, it yeah you know, it's yeah amazing wow I do, it's a big setup then <laughs> I imagine it would be Lafra. I mean <laughs> uh, okay so who is I guess the last little bits then I just write who are you outside of you know, outside of Loughborough, outside of netball, what do you enjoy doing? What, what kind of, if you've got that much time, I don't know, but. Yeah, um, I guess I guess another learning for me was that I need to make time for myself mm. because, you know, I, I actually, you can lose yourself in, in work and it's not a healthy place to be. So, nah. um, like, I, I love music. So when we're allowed, um, always at live gigs and things like that, um, try and travel as much as we can um, mm. obviously again not allowed at the minute um and then yeah just making sure that I stay active as well like when you retire from sport th there's a bit of a there can be a bit of an identity crisis but for me yeah. I always 
enjoyed how being active makes me feel. So, you know, just because I've not got something to train for and I don't have to do it. Yeah. um, Like after the first few months of being like, oh, this is great. You know, I can sit around and eat what I want and (laughs) drink as much as I want. After those first few months, I was like, oh, actually, I feel pretty crap. So maybe I will. I'm at that point right now the lockdown sort of I've had I think it started at Christmas and I've not managed to put myself back in alignment and I'm yeah. like I'm not enjoying this now but anyway so I, I get it kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I do a few little cheeky questions which I know I asked the Stacey so I'm going to ask some of you probably not the same ones um, but I know I asked her this one uh, four favorite foods Ooh, um, sushi Oh, cake. Uh, cake. <laughs> We're friends. Cake. <laughs> cake, yes, absolutely. Sushi, <laughs> cake, burgers. Yeah. Um, always comes up, steak or burgers. Yeah. And um, what else do I eat a lot of? I eat quite a lot of pies. I'm from Wigan, <laughs> so you can't get away from it. <laughs> yeah, I read that about you, actually. Yeah, yeah, from Wigan, yeah. <laughs> What, steak and ale? Or... Some potato, classic. <laughs> fair enough, yeah. fair enough. Uh, what about your four favourite movies? Are you into your movies? I'm terrible at movies. Not uh, you? No, all my friends mock me because my favourite movie was like the has always been like The Matrix and they're like, watch something from, you know, the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, but actually it's really interesting when I ask that question. You know, my favourite movie is Pretty Woman. That's really old now. <laughs> It's, easy. it's probably one of the only films I can watch on repeat. Is yeah. like most films are like watched it once, don't need to see it again. But I mean, so, Stacey's like horrified because I've never watched the Harry Potter films. Yeah, she did mention those. Yeah, I've not, I've never watched Lord of the Rings. I've never no, watched me Star neither. Wars. No. Like all of these that are supposed to be like a rite of passage. I'm like, no, nah. dull. <laughs> yeah, like it's not believable. Come on. <laughs> exactly, we're in the same camp. Cake and films, we got yeah. in common. Uh, and the last one I'll ask you is just the four words to describe yourself. Um, ooh, loyal, <laughs> loyal, sarcastic. She did say um, that about you, Stacey, actually. By yeah. the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else would I say? Determined, yeah, and resilient. Awesome. There are four great character traits, by the way. Well, sarcasm. I don't know about that one. But anyway. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And yeah, I appreciate your time. No, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to It Starts With You. My name is Sam Adams. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about me, then you can visit my website, sam-adams.com, where you can find information about my coaching and my speaking. If you're interested in finding out more about the podcast and future guests, then please visit our Facebook page, It Starts With You, and also our Instagram page, It Starts With You podcast. Thanks very much and have a great day.